Welcome to the Cup of Sunshine podcast series. I'm your host, Deb Cup. I was inspired to start this series to bring some positive energy and inspiration, something I think all of us can use in our daily lives. So in my quest to fill your cup of sunshine, I've invited people who I admire to have conversations with me, share lessons, insights that I hope can really benefit all of us. I actually started Cup of Sunshine First as a video series on LinkedIn. So please make sure to check it out on my LinkedIn page for video highlights of my conversations. But here on this podcast, you're going to be able to listen to the full conversations. So thank you so much for tuning in. So this conversation today is a special one for me. Today's conversation is with a very good friend, a personal mentor, and an old boss, Joe Morgan, who is currently the founder and CEO of SIY. One of the things I admire most about him is his people-centric approach to leadership. And it's something that I can personally talk about because I've felt it with my relationship with him as both a leader and a mentor. Take a listen. I know you're going to appreciate it. Hi, Joe. I am so excited to have you on Cup of Sunshine. Thank you for being here with us. I'm glad to be here. Good. So talking to you is just always my favorite thing in the world to do. And my topic today, one of is really gonna be around mentorship and allyship. And for the context of any of you who are watching today, Joe Morgan is one of the most unbelievable examples to me of somebody who was way ahead of the curve when it came to thinking about people, about mentoring, and about being an ally. So things that he would do many, many, many years ago just weren't mainstream. It was just the way that he operated. So Joe, I would love to just spend a little bit of time getting into your brain about sort of the how and the why you approach things like mentorship and allyship and how it's sort of part of kind of the core of who you are. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to kind of kick it off that way. So we have to laugh a lot, Deb. That's one thing that's kind of like a problem going into this, right? So <laughs> so I, I actually think for me, it turns out everything I do is people-centric. And I think that happened not because I woke up one day and said, I think I'm going to be a people-centric manager or leader. I think it came because I used to lay on my grandmother's bed at night for my whole life. And she lived to be 100 years old. Absolutely, the same, she and my mom were probably the single, the two people that influenced me the greatest. And, and the reason for that, I think, was because they had such profound things to say that were so simple. And they got inside of me and helped me understand the importance of being real and not getting overwhelmed by little things, but just really focusing on the purpose. So from a mentoring standpoint, I suppose I didn't know that word when I started my career. I just knew that if I could surround myself with wicked smart people, that's my Boston thing, then I could probably enhance my ability to succeed in some way. You know, we'll talk a lot. I won't, I won't take up too much time here, but the first guy that probably influenced me was my father-in-law in business. Because uh-huh. my mom and dad were school teachers, so I didn't know anything about business. I knew a lot about people, but I didn't know anything about business. So I walked into his office one day. I'd never been in a corporate facility in my life. And I noticed like everybody smiled when they saw him. I'm like, what the hell? Like that's not supposed to happen. I mean, you read all these books and yeah. it's supposed to be stiff and hierarchy. Yeah. They loved him. They really loved him. So I remember asking him why. And he said, well, I just got to know them. And it was like, it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So that was actually the start of my understanding that it's not that complicated. And I was actually pretty good at that. I'm not a total, very complicated person. So it gave me a start. But he was my first one. There were many others, which I hope we can talk about, but that was my first one. 
That's awesome. Part of me thinks you you have this way of sort of identifying people that you believe have something in them, like whether it's a, a capability of desire, yeah. something. Like it's like you have this ability to focus in and say like, I know who they are. And then you tend to sort of engage and actually, like you said, like you learn, you talk, you, you talk to them, you spend time with them. So what is it that you look for when you're thinking about those types of people that you feel like you might connect with? Yeah, it's it, it's funny. Uh, this is a funny story. So it'll relate back to the question. So this morning I went for a walk, which I can't run anymore because my knees are bad. So I went for a walk, which you know that story too. So I went for um, I went for a walk. And so I, I mean, stopped at this house and there were two sheep in the front yard, like big sheep. And it looked like one of them had been incompletely shaved, but it's eating grass. It seemed happy. And then the other one hadn't been shaved yet. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on there. And then I look over and there were three lambs. So I stand, stood there for 10 minutes and I watched the lambs and they're all kind of together playing. And then one of them drifts off. And then at some point realized that it was no longer with the other two. So hops over and jumps on the other two kind of frivolously. And I think it's a symbolic representation of what I like to look for is, you know, some people are conformist, some people are pushing the edges, but it doesn't matter which one you are inside. There's some treasure. And I always like to go for walks with people. I like to observe people like the lambs and see how they behave when no one else is watching. And that is what gives me the insight that helps me find what I call the rock inside and then polish it together versus just say, hey, you know what? You're really good at this and then never talk to them again. I mean, I think you have to help people get better. And that's really what I always like to do. And the one story that I often tell is, when I was early in my career, I'm an engineer, I'm very high personality. So I study and then I act, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of, and I don't like a lot of control. So that's probably a personality problem. But this guy shows up in my office and he's a manager and it's annoying as hell. Like, I'm, why are you here? I mean, I'm really busy right now. And he was my boss. So I, of course, had to like, mm-hmm. pay attention. I later found that they had, the management team had gone to a session on the fact that the employees didn't feel as engaged. So they were told you really ought to go visit people in their space and manage by walking around, which I think is stupid because it's just disruptive. So I manage by walking. So I go say, hey, let's go for a walk. And then that's how I learn. That's how I figure out what people are really interested in because it comes down to passion. Do you look for things that are like, is it always about something positive or do you do you also see things that perhaps you're like, I know that person's got something more, but I don't I don't like what I'm seeing. Like, do you go both ways or do you focus more on ones that you feel like you can really develop more, something more into the rocks already kind of polished a little bit or you'll go anyway? It's definitely obvious when you get to know me a little bit that I'm definitely on the on the positive side of life more than I am on the other side. But I also realize that because I look at like people broadly in two cups, the cups there's Tiggers and then there's Eeyore's. But that doesn't really mean that an Eeyore can't be a really good person and a contributor and all that stuff. It just means that their natural tendency is not to be super positive about stuff. So I, d- I do that, but I don't do it in a confrontational way. Yeah. Probably a bit more subtle and experiential as to how I bring that, unless someone crosses a line. Yes. If someone crosses an ethics or a values line, then I can go off the rails a little bit. By the way, I just have to say that the Tigger and Eeyore 
resonates because I don't know if you remember this, but I vividly remember when we were once in a boardroom meeting and there was a couple of us presenting. And I vividly remember you talking about Tigger and Eeyore <laughs> after that experience. <laughs> well, so that's that with Microsoft because I, I became CIO of the company we work for. And I wasn't super excited about being CIO because I was like, I don't know that much about it. And I found when I got into it that I was surrounded by a lot of EOR personalities. And they that's because they weren't respected like they should have been. Right. And so sometimes it, people are a result of their circumstance. And if you can just change the circumstance a little bit mm-hmm. and help them derive the value that they really deserve, it's amazing how much the smiles come back, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was my, uh, I, I do remember those moments. I'm a pretty direct person, as you know, so I don't, I love, I don't like hold back very much. So one thing that I love about you that I think will be interesting for people, whether new leaders or have been leaders for a while, or even an individual contributor, mm-hmm. you always did things that seemed sometimes maybe a little odd because it would be the first time you'd see it. And you never seemed nervous about it, afraid, concerned. And I'll give you two very specific examples so you could give, provide okay. context. I'm a, I'm a little nervous about what you're going to say. No, it's actually not that big of a deal. <laughs> I, I vividly remember when you also, you were the first person I ever had a stand-up meeting with. Like, I remember you would get us all to stand up and we would we would be in a circle and it would be, and people do this all the time now, where there'd be no desk yeah. or, you know what I mean? There was nothing in between you. So there was, we would stand up in a circle and we would have a, a, like a legit meeting, everybody standing up in a circle. That was one. Another one is, and I think you still do this to this day, was you always started with employee safety. Of yeah. some sort. Didn't matter what it was. Didn't matter if you were on a manufacturing floor, if you didn't matter yeah. where you were. That was just something that was super deeply important to you. And then obviously years later, I still remember it. So my my question is, I always saw you sort of on, on the cutting edge of doing things differently that then you see six, eight years later, everybody's doing it. But did you feel nervous about it? Did you feel like I worry about what people are thinking? Or were you just like, I'm confident in what I'm doing and we're going? I'm pretty confident in what I do, but in I don't know nervous would be the right word, but I'm curious mm-hmm. what the reaction is going to be. And I don't know that that gets me to nerves, but I think um, when you do something like with the stand-up, that is, I mean, people have all sorts of names for it. And I think I just said, let's have stand-up meeting. I mean, I yep. didn't with anything fancy for it. What I'm always wondering is what happens to people that you didn't expect to really enjoy that opportunity? That's the thing that's always cool. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know that I'm nervous, but I'm really genuinely interested in what the impact will be. So you probably also noticed that I don't stay with things that aren't deriving value. Yes. I'll maybe tweak it or modify it, but communication always has to be you always have to be working on it. And generationally, like I, I work with this um, young woman that does the branding for my company and I have pens down calls. So mm-hmm. you can't be typing. You can't be, you cannot do anything. Take a note. I just okay. want you to listen, like to not to what I'm saying, but yeah. let's talk. And she was writing the other day, we're on a video call and she realized, and she looked me straight in the head and you said, this was a pen down moment, right, Joe? And I said, yeah, drop your pen. So she did. And then I heard from her because I always say, you know, I don't like to work with people because of their their fingers and their hands. I like to work with them because of what's inside. Yeah. And I want to hear from them. I want to hear, you know, how'd your mind work? So that's awesome. And I, I do think, think you are a sometimes. I mean, I'm, I think anybody's nervous. Anybody yeah. 
they never get nervous is not telling the truth. Yeah. But. Well, I think there's a good nervous. There's a good nervous. Like you want that sort of energy, adrenaline nervous in a positive way, I think. I think mm-hmm. that's always helpful. Yeah. You also are a big learner, yep. like a big, big learner. So not only are you, you're always reading, you're always thinking, you yeah. are super curious about people and why they do what they do. So I know sometimes when you're the leader of an organization and you're asking a lot of questions, it can it can unnerve other people because they're like, why right. is he? Especially when they're not used to it, like they're like, "Why are they so interested? What are they? What do they think they're doing?" So, what are some of the things that you do to put people at ease? Whether it's even it's it could be a mentoring situation, it could be just a general work situation. What are some tips or ideas that you had to help others feel comfortable? I've been fortunate to work in a lot of different companies, and and as I've done that, I've learned that you know people use culture. You know that's a big word. Mm I mean, it has many, many dimensions. I kind of break that down to terminology. So the, one of the first things I like to do is, what are the words of the company? What's the terminology of the organization? So that I can talk in those same terms. That's one thing that I found to be very big because it becomes early relatability. I also think that if you say you want to have a dialogue, like I don't interview people generally. Mm-hmm. I like to have a dialogue. Now I'm going to cover everything, mm-hmm. what is going to happen through a dialogue. So we may go down a few roads here and there, and we'll eventually cover everything and come back to it. But I think it's creating proper context. I think it's having the conversation within the framework of your words and your terminology. But I also think the first point always is it has to start with casual, who are you? Yeah. Check in, check in where you are. Because One of the things that I've discovered, and you and I talked about this in selling, you can prepare for a big enterprise sales deal, and then the meeting just before the meeting you're in, that the customer's in, dictates what happens. Yep. And so if you're not clear on what they just experienced, you're not going to be able to accomplish what you set out to do. So I think that's a lot of it, just making it personal. Did you ever have to break up with a mentor or a mentee? Did Did you ever hit that spot where you're like, meh? It's just, I'm not feeling it. They're not feeling it. Because I think sometimes people hesitate to get into mentor-mentee relationships because they have a little anxiety over like, is this going to be forever or not? Or like, should I expect it should be? Like, have you ever had that experience where you're just like, you know what, this neither of us are getting value anymore? Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's an interesting question because I mentor a good number of people. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to do that. I want to talk to you about a new mentor that I have, actually. It's kind of interesting. Huh. So- I've broken up with a lot of coaches that have been assigned to me that were never thought were my mentors, but they weren't because yeah. they never really understood who I was. They were just doing a job that were, yeah. they were asked to do. So I've broken up with people like that. But my oldest mentor, like other than my father-in-law who passed away, is a guy named John Cox. Mm-hmm. I was a safety engineer in the specialty chemical industry when I was in 1986, a long time ago. He, to this day, is still my mentor in environmental health and safety. We talk about it all the time. And he's awesome. He's just the greatest guy. So I actually don't think I've ever, someone that I consider a mentor, I have never broken up with. I uh-huh. think there are people that think they're my mentors yeah. that I have broken up with for sure. Yeah. 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 And it just fades. Does it just fade or do you ever feel like it has to be a thanks, we're kind of done thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a checklist on their side and then yeah. suddenly they ran out of things to to talk about and maybe they weren't learners or maybe I went beyond the situation that they were trying to help me with. As you think about yourself as a mentee, and I think about this a lot too, part of what I, I always encourage people to do, because there's lots of folks that 
that are looking for a mentor, which is awesome. And you want that. And a sponsor, I'll say mentor slash sponsor, sponsors even better, you know, in terms of someone being incredibly invested in your life and your career. But I always coach people to bring something to the table that a mentor learns just as much from a mentee oh, as, sure. as the opposite. So what kind of advice do you give to people? Because I know you work with a lot of people early in career as well. What kind of advice do you give them when they're thinking about trying to create those connections with mentors? Yeah, it, I think it's important to be committed mm-hmm. to the learning process as you just described. I think it's really important to articulate what it is that you think you want to discover as a result of the relationship and then be willing to realize that you were partially right. So that's another piece of advice that I do. And then the thing that I do, I have this, well, I asked you if I could tell you what I do for yeah. development because I'm really excited about this. It's pretty cool. So I do this thing called skimming rocks. So think about skimming rocks, mm-hmm. like physically you go yeah. pick up. You know, yep, flat rock. Yep. Like I'm, you're very competitive, so I'm guessing you won't stop until you get like eight or ten or whatever. <laughs> Some people are plop people. Like they're encouraged that they threw it into the water and they saw a splash. You know, but I'm gonna stay until I get as many as I can. And if you, you get it. seven, I'm not gonna leave until I get eight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what I do is I literally skim rocks with people to understand how they think about that situation, and it creates a disarming moment of dialogue. I encourage people to be wicked uncomfortable. Like just be okay with not being okay. Yes. And so I think a lot of mentoring has to be trust-based and you have to earn that. You can't dictate trust. You have to earn trust. And it does come through experience. It doesn't come because I'm some title. You have to be willing to expose who you are as well. Those are the things that I've experienced. The other thing, you had asked me a question the other day, and I think this is um, a really big part of it too, is the concept of shadows. Yeah. You know, a lot of leaders cast shadows on others. And I think real mentors, mentors, mentors are willing to be in the other person's shadow. And that's, I think, the big difference between a successful relationship and one that's not. I couldn't agree more. It's the it's the thrill of watching someone else do exceptional things. I mean, you're one of those people to me. I mean, we're friends, but I mean, I love seeing everything that you do. I mean, when you're not excited about someone's success and impact in the world, I mean, it's like you're not being genuine about the relationship. I think that's awesome. And I I just want to highlight one thing you said, because I think it's really important for everyone listening. It's the honesty piece is so critical because I think when you have the right mentor and you were at a turning point and you were this for me, like when you're at a turning point in your career, when you're making a super hard decision, you need that person who yeah. has that relationship. And it's, by the way, it's actually a lot easier if it's not somebody in your family because they have a different perspective. They're great too, and you yeah, want them. You want them for sure. But you also need that person who can have such an honest conversation. And if you don't show up with that honesty, it won't work. So, like when you were, you know, I was making a big career decision and, you know, I had a lot of conversations about it, and you asked me some really hard questions. And if I didn't bring honesty to the table, I would have made a bad decision. And I think that's, Right. So important that you you have to sort right. of let your guard down to make the relationships as powerful as they can be. Can I tell a funny story about one of those conversations? So yes, I was, you can, of course. I was in a cab in New York City. Do you remember that? Yeah. So my cab driver, it's like horrible traffic. And I'm talking to Devin. It's wicked hot out. It's terrible. <laughs> and the cab driver and I were chatting and 
he was from, um, I forget where he's from, different country, he spoke like six languages or something. And we got into this conversation about what he wanted to do with his career. And he wanted to be more educated. He was an Uber driver and he was doing it as kind of an interim thing. And so I asked him where he went to school. And then I, I looked it up on the internet and I found that they had a local chapter for his school that were doing mentoring in town that night. Get out. And so he's like, get out of here, really? And I said, yes. So look, so he ends up giving me his telephone number and we talk still to this day. That, like is, so, that is so you. God, that is the perfect no, my wife example says I of you. Friends with everybody in the world, but I, I just it. was excited to see this guy. Yeah, it was pretty fun. That is amazing. See, that's yeah, pretty so, cool. I love it. I always like to ask three questions to all of my guests. Sure. And um, so I want to ask you, and one of them is just any important lesson you've learned in the last year. I would say that we talk a lot about empathy. Mm-hmm. And empathy, I think, is one of the hardest things to achieve. Mm-hmm. Sympathy is easy. And empathy is really hard and easier, I should say. But we are in people's homes right now for the first time in history yeah. every day. And so we're seeing the world that they live in most of the time in a raw form. And great leaders are going to take advantage of that and not to use it against someone, but to use it as a way to truly understand the lives that people lead that we are around every day. And I think the big learning there is be aware of that surrounding that that person is in. Don't concentrate entirely on the meeting you're in, but look at that environment as a priority. So I that's, think that's awesome. That's, my that's an awesome one because it is. Um, we le- we learn a lot. I mean, the data shows us people are fatigued, people yeah. feel isolated. I mean, that that what you're describing to me is great leadership of just having a perspective as to what's happening beyond the screen, so that you can be the best possible leader, coworker, friend to any person on the other side of that camera. I think that's great. What always makes you laugh? I laughed at the lambs this morning. I, I think. Um, <laughs> By the way, you're the only person that would show up with a story about seeing lambs that day. Yeah, Go that was, on. yeah. I sent that to my wife and we went to Ireland and she has never had lambs lamb since we went to Ireland. So I was kind of joking. I think, well, I love babies and I love puppies. I mean, that's those things always make me laugh. But I, I just think it's just like humanity, like little little things that you stop and you see it. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. Just little things. Nothing. It's not like a major change in the world, but it's just just the little things about humanity. Like last night, I had dinner with a, a husband and wife of a um, customer of mine, and mm-hmm. and just her her passion about what she believed in. It made me not belly laugh, but I was laughing with her because she was trying to learn and grow and stuff. And that's what I I, I love that part of it. Yeah. So that that's probably my answer. That's great. This one, I think, oh, we could spend a lot of time on this one. How about one important aspect or ingredient in leadership? I would put it in the bucket of curiosity. It's not about the question. It's about the answer. So care less about the question and care more about the answer. And then if it's worth pursuing further, then take the journey. Yeah. There's nothing better than to cancel the next meeting because someone just became that important to you. That's awesome. One of the things you used to talk about, do you remember the the comment you had about leadership having peripheral vision? Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Just the sort of how you think about what? Yeah. I have a really good friend 
that um, he's like a brother to me and he's CEO of a company. And I used to say, if you taped us together with duct tape back to back, we'd be the perfect executive <laughs> because we could see everything. And, and actually, if you stand straight and just turn your head, you still have a blind spot. So that means that you have to have others in your life that see what you don't see. And part of your earlier question, why I'm not nervous when I try something new is because I believe that I have the trust of many and that they will help me see the blind spots. And that doesn't mean that I will agree with them on the courage times because I'm going to push the edges a little bit. But I know that if it's a mistake or it's caused an unintended consequence that I'll get that, that back background. I have seen so many people that are in leadership positions that actually aren't leaders. They're maybe powerful that don't actually have a clue what they're causing to occur. And maybe what they're measuring their success on can be achieved with blind spots. But what I measure myself on, and I think you're the same way, Deb, is is, uh, it has to be you have to have a 360 degree view of life to truly be successful as a leader, my opinion. Yeah. I think it's also um, one thing you've always been really good at, I've learned from you is, is, well, I think it's a lot of things, but two things that come to mind for me is the impact downstream of anything you choose. So mm-hmm. thinking about it mm-hmm. to the person at the individual contributor level, what does this decision do to that particular person? not just my perspective of it, but you know how, how do you impact multi-level down? I think that's one thing I've always thought about when I think about things that you taught me. I think that's one. And I also think the point you made about being curious and listening, one of the things I, I love is that you're not, you don't have to have all the answers. And yeah. that when you are testing things, you, you will always just be like, hey, what do you think about this? Like I'm, I'm noodling something I wanna try or I'm thinking about something, what's your reaction to it? that you do your own level of research, sort of person by person, yeah. before you embark upon something. And to your point, you might just still go because you think great right. feedback, but we gotta push. Like this is, an, this is an opportunity for us to push, or you might you know, iterate it because of the feedback that you got. But I think those are two huge lessons it, to me in terms of how you think about mm-hmm. what you go do next is there's so much input that you can get. And as long as you do it in a way that you can filter it and apply it, and it becomes incredibly meaningful to those people as well, because they think, man, I was I was sort of part of that, like that thing he's doing, like I was kind of part of that. I like to do a lot of thinking out loud, but not a lot of people. What I learned in my career is that not everybody can handle that. Yes. And I had to, this is part of the 360 thing, the blind spot. You know, some people really struggle with that kind of ideation process. And I had to learn when to do that and when not to do that. And that's really important as a leader going forward, because if you do that in the wrong environment, you can create really difficult things. The the other thing, and you and I have talked about this before too, is when you're in a resource-starved environment, Mm -hmm. your process of decision-making and risk is very different than when you're in a non-resource-starved environment. And you could be faced with the same situation and your approach is going to be quite different if you don't have the resource to address it. You might be more resourceful in a non-financial way in one versus the other, whereas you yeah. might just throw money at it. So that's one of the things that I'm sure in your situation now, Deb, being doing what you're doing now versus some other situations you've been in where you didn't have the resource. Yeah. Pretty great. 
That doesn't mean you're going to spend willy-nilly because you can't. Right. But you're going to also be very able to be frugal and and orient your, your investments correctly. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that I had this conversation with somebody last week, this exact conversation. It's one of the things that I'm most grateful for is, you know, I spent a very large portion of my career being in a resource constrained environment. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because it's, first of all, you recognize when you have an embarrassment of riches, you make better decisions because you think about things as if it's your own money. Like you're, and that's how you should always be, by the way. But, you know, you're, you're, it's embedded and ingrained in sort of the way that you work. That is incredibly meaningful. So I, I'm so grateful for that because it does absolutely change the way you perceive things as well. So that yeah. when some people might think, "Oh my gosh, this is so hard," we're you know we're being asked to hold the line on expenses or whatever it is, you know. And from my perspective, you know, given the experiences yeah, I've had, sure. it's just a whole different ballgame. So that's a an experience I'm grateful that I was able to have. That's for yeah. sure. It's so important. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, Joe, what's I your biggest learn learning depth this year. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest learning is really about, and I always feel this way, but it even more so is authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think it's always been something that I've cared deeply about. And it's just, I show up the same way, yeah. regardless of who I'm talking to, it's always the same person. But I realized how deeply that matters to people in an environment where people are stressed, feel you know, anxious, aren't sure. You know, There's a lot of unease that authenticity just shines through. And I think for every, and I feel it with any person I talk to who's being authentic with me. So that to me is just the power of it. Yeah. I always felt was important, but I think it's gotten even more important than it ever was before. Yeah. Well, that's one of your leading traits for sure. Thank you. Natural. Yes. Joe, this was awesome. As always, yeah, I could talk to you great. all day. We should have you back again. Yeah. We could talk about more things, but thank you so much for joining right. us. And, uh, so, As always, bye. tons of lessons learned here. Thank you. Honored to be here. This is great. Thank you. Thanks, Take care. Bye. One of the things I love about Joe is the way he approaches getting to know someone better. He truly does say, let's go for a walk. Let's have a dialogue. He's interested, and you know he's interested. What that says to me, it's about getting to know the person, understanding what makes them tick, so you know how to most effectively help them. And when it comes to mentorship, the best relationships really blossom are the ones where you feel that connection both ways. That's why Joe has been such a great mentor of mine and vice versa, because we both bring something to the table and we both care. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you're not yet a subscriber, please subscribe where you get your podcasts. I'm Deb Cup, and you've been listening to Cup of Sunshine. <laughs>